For China Current continues its special coverage on the coronavirus outbreak, go to our social media, at the China Current, and our website for interviews, videos, and podcasts. I'm James Chow. Thank you. In the years ahead, you're going to hear a lot more of Professor Adiba Kamuruzaman. She is the president-elect of the International Aid Society, one of the most important positions in science, and dean of the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Malaya. Her background is in infectious diseases, particularly, but not limited to HIV and AIDS. Her work in science carries over into activism for marginalized communities and people everywhere. HIV is very different to COVID-19, but surely four decades in the fight against AIDS can tell us something. I called her in Kuala Lumpur. Hi, Adiba. Hi, James. My heart aches when I see the pictures and hear the stories of the health workers. Thousands of them have been infected. We know at least some of them have died. We're still waiting on those exact numbers as well. What are some of the stories that have come out for you in this very, very complex outbreak? Before I I touch on our unfortunate colleagues in in Wuhan, I myself lived through um, an outbreak. You know, the Nipah outbreak in... um, in Malaysia in 1998, the, the peak related uh, encephalitis from the Nipah virus, also of bad origin. Um, I happened to be a young infectious diseases physician at that time, had just returned from Australia to Malaysia, and, and we were facing this outbreak at my hospital, and I was pregnant at the time. So I can identify very, very closely with colleagues. Um, you know, when, when you're dealing with uh, an unknown virus and, and I had to play the role of trying to reassure everyone at my hospital that we're all going to be okay when in actual fact I wasn't 100% sure that we're going to be okay. So, you know, reliving all that, um, I can just imagine, you know, the, the anxiety and fear that colleagues in, in China are facing and yet having to put up a brave front and, you know, carry out our duties and, uh, as professionals. So, you know, my heart really goes out to them because having lived through this myself, um, I sort of know what it's like. Although fortunately for uh, the Nipah epidemic, it, it died down relatively quickly and um, the mode of transmission is, is a lot more different and uh, in many ways it was easier to protect ourselves um, once we knew what the virus was and um, uh, and so forth. Whereas here we're dealing with a, a droplet infection um, that's a lot harder to, to control. The extent of yeah. uh, the outbreak in China that has put you know so much strain on our colleagues in, in China you know, um, I, I just cannot imagine. Let's talk about COVID-19. As an infectious disease specialist, what do you make of all this? Well, I think, unfortunately, um, you know, when the outbreak first occurred in China and as it spread, it was always the fear of the rest of the world that it was going to, sooner or later, affect other countries. 
unfortunately, that's what we see now. Precisely because of the, the nature of the virus, how it's transmitted, easily transmissible, that is. You know, the global connectivity through uh, airplanes and ships. Uh, unfortunately, the inevitable has happened. And as someone with your background, are you surprised by the path that it's now taking around the world? But of course, with the ferocity that it seems to be having in some areas. It is surprising that in, in some countries, the numbers are much larger than others, particularly, well, South Korea, there's a lot of traffic uh, between, I guess, China and South Korea. But for it to pop up in Italy and then Iran and uh have outbreaks like that, whereas for now, I guess, um, countries that traditionally have had more traffic with China, like my, our own, uh, have been relatively, we've seen relatively modest numbers. Perhaps it's because of the previous experience with SARS and the uh, relatively preparedness of Southeast Asian countries that might um, explain it. Say, for example, I'm sitting in New York, or I'm sitting in uh, Wisconsin, or I'm sitting in Chicago. Should I be worried by what I'm seeing over, not just in China, but especially with all the recent developments in Washington state? Because of um, there is still a lot that we don't know about the virus. There is, there is a need to be aware. There is a need to be prepared. But there shouldn't really be you know, panic and buying in supermarkets that you, you're seeing in some countries. The numbers in places outside China is still relatively small. And the second thing I think that bears repeating over and over again is that for the majority of infections are either mild or, or asymptomatic. But I think it's also important to put things into perspective. Speaking of perspective, a lot of people, for very obvious and understandable reasons, are comparing this to SARS, some also to Zika and Ebola, two more recent occurrences. But you and I know that there is HIV and AIDS. It's 39 years almost to the month when the first cases were identified in New York and San Francisco. I look at the responses in AIDS. I look at the responses that could be better in COVID-19. Do you see the same parallels that I'm seeing? Yeah, I, I think I do, James. Um, first of all, in any new disease, any new outbreaks where we don't, where, you know, the full story um, hasn't unfolded, where there is still a lot of uh, question marks, it, it always generates uh, fear and anxiety. And in the case of COVID, um, you know, because by the time the world got to know about it, thousands of people have been infected, um, you know, many hundreds had died and you're getting images of uh, healthcare workers in full hazmat suits. So naturally, I think um, people fear the worst. And uh, with HIV AIDS, uh, you know, that, there was also that, that fear of what is this disease, where is it coming from? And on top of that, in the early days, um, it was affecting people who were already uh, stigmatized. Many presented already with end-stage disease that, you know, showed people who were extremely thin and cachexic with disfiguring uh, skin lesions that, you know, just uh, generated fear and horror. 
You talked about people who were already stigmatized and then were stigmatized all over again by the virus. But when we look at the stigma here, do you see parallels? Because I see people who are associated with Wuhan, people who are associated with China, people who look like they're of East Asian descent already being stigmatized. So in different ways, even internally in the country and outside as well. Yeah, certainly we, we've heard many stories of, uh, and, and you, you know, we've seen it on social media as well, of British-born Chinese, American-born Chinese who've been stigmatized and discriminated against. A colleague of mine who's from Malaysia, not even Chinese, went to a university in, I, I won't say where, and, and even, you know, in, in this in academic setting, she was... Um, stigmatized again and they refuse to see her and she's she's malay uh, ethnic origin not even chinese so you know the the world ha- has reacted in um, in a very unfortunate manner and um, the stigmatization is really really quite real Let's talk about ways to move forward because Dr. Tedros has spoken so much about solidarity Do you think it's fair to say that SARS gave us in a way an experience head start on COVID-19? And will COVID-19 give us an experience slash head start for the next global health emergency? Yeah, let's hope so. Especially, as you said, this is not going to be the last outbreak. So how can we be better prepared for the next one is uh, essential. What do you think China needs to do next? And what do you think about what it's done so far? Well, I think um, in terms of the drastic measures that were taken, the lockdown and so forth, um, uh, I guess it has worked because, you know, the numbers are now uh, slowly coming down. So there there must have been a lot of um, community spread and, and infection that was going on and that the only way to intervene was to have this massive quarantine. So I think what what uh, what's next is, of course, putting in um, a robust surveillance system, not just for COVID virus, but any other types of outbreaks and, and an early warning system. I'm asking you all these questions because you are about to occupy one of the most important figures in global science as the incoming president of the International Aid Society. Could you talk to us a bit about community mobilization and what does that mean in the context of helping to control the spread of an infectious disease? Of all the epidemics that um, have been around in my lifetime, I think HIV really is uh, the champion when it comes to community mobilization, uh, advocacy to uh, service delivery to many, many other aspects of, of HIV. When it comes to COVID, I think where you need the community mobilization, hopefully, hopefully we will not see the extreme uh, prediction that this is the next big pandemic after um, the, the the flu 1918 uh, pandemic, because when that happens, uh, where the community mobilisation is required is in terms of you know direct care and um, uh, if schools need to be shut down, if universities need to be shut down, you know um, uh, we all need to be looking after each other, and that that's uh, where I think the community mobilisation. Um, will really kick in. But I honestly hope we won't get to that stage. For the families 
out there who are terribly frightened about their own positions right now, be they in Wuhan or be they in any other part of the planet today. Does science hold real hope for them in the foreseeable future? Yes, yes, of course. You know, I think it's only through science that we get accurate information about, uh, you know, the, the characteristics of the virus, first of all, how it's transmitted, um, how long does it live outside of the human body, how, trans, you know, how, how, how is it spread from person to person, all these things, all this accurate um, information can only be gleaned through uh, good scientific epidemiological uh, investigations. And then, of course, through science um, and, and uh, great technology that we have now, um, the, you know, the ability to um, make diagnostic kits and tools that can um, detect the infection as quickly as possible, and then, of course, the long-term goal of uh, vaccine, or, or first of all, um, create, once we know the characteristics of the virus and, uh, and so forth, to design um, the right antiviral therapy um, for treatment. And then uh, lastly, the vaccine. So all this requires um, very good, very collaborative uh, scientific work, whether it's in, you know, the... the clinical aspects of it or the epidemiological studies of the virus um, and uh, the nature of the uh, history of the infection and the epidemic and, and finally um, in the search for diagnostic tools, uh, drugs and vaccine. Professor Kamaru Zama, you are a great champion in so many ways across science but particularly as a champion for people. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, James. Good evening.